0: And it is Bruce Claggett in for Jill Bennett this afternoon on a day where David Eby has a brand new cabinet. He announced uh, some notable changes. I mentioned a couple of them. Nikki Sharma uh, taking over as Attorney General. That's a big thumbs up to some of the action perhaps on the downtown east side. Nikki Sharma being the Vancouver Hastings MLA. Also a lawyer in the area katrine conroy bc's new finance minister moving a big promotion from forest minister well for the rest of it and following this very closely a guy whose phone cuts off and uh doesn't really allow us to get to him right away but he's still here global bc legislative reporter richard zussman richard i'm glad you're with us now
1: oh i'm glad i am too and i'm sorry to make you dance around there bruce but i'm here Uh, A lot of things going on here. We just wrapped up a scrum with Health Minister Adrian Dix. And we've seen some of this reporting, but he just confirmed that the Coroner Service has presented information to BC Children's that six kids have died uh, and the expectation is due to complications around the flu. And uh, Minister Dix was expressing his condolences to those families Um, who have had loved ones who have died in the last few weeks uh, due to the complications. And just, again, a continual reminder about vaccination, around the fact that we are seeing a flu season unlike anything we've seen here since you know pre-pandemic and even earlier and it was a bad flu season in New Zealand and Australia and BC warned a bad flu season was coming here and we are seeing it and there's pressure on the hospital system so I'm sorry to be late but I also wanted to make sure you know aside from my phone yeah. issues that I that I uh, heard from the health minister as well on on what has been you know a real tragic turn here um, it's unclear whether, you know, this is typical to see this number of children die due to the flu. It doesn't seem like it is. And the province is grappling through what has been a really tough flu season.
0: Richard, never apologize for interrupting the news for the news, as the saying goes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, those uh, type of uh, of confirmations, uh, To I know there was some rumor about this yesterday, but to hear that confirmation now of those six deaths, uh, that is... Uh, a stinging, uh, stinging indication of what's happening in the healthcare system. Adrian Dix uh, still health minister, um, and I guess that you know when we talk about a cabinet shuffle, and even with the healthcare crisis, that is a thumbs up from David Eby, I guess, in that uh, he's doing the best you can do with a very terrible situation. Is that your take, Richard?
1: Yeah, we heard two weeks ago from the Premier that Adrian Dix is the best health minister in Canada. At that point, it was security who's going to keep his job. And we've heard from the B.C. Liberals that Adrian Dix should resign. We've heard pressure from the Greens. We know that there are those in communities. But it's also, as, as you mentioned, a reflection on the fact that the healthcare crisis is compounded by many things. And, you know, the next few years are going to be crucial to see what decisions this government makes around addressing the ongoing crisis. We'll start seeing those changes to family doctors implemented now that that deal is ratified, ratified by higher than 90% of doctors. uh, The vote number released yesterday. You know, we're going to start seeing what this government can do to implement some of those. So, you know, the fact that we still have a steady hand in health, in public safety with Mike Fernworth in transportation with Bob Fleming, is an indication that those were the jobs where, you know, there was a confidence that that work can continue. Murray Rankin and Indigenous relations. The interesting stuff, obviously, is where there's change, right? Finance minister, you mentioned, is new. Katrina Conroy is in. Um, woman in her 70s, well-seasoned politician, has been around politics a long time the word that david eby kept using to refer to her was tough she is tough and we are going to have tough economic times in this province ahead even though the surplus numbers look amazing right now there are headwinds coming and that toughness is what david eby really tried to express that will come from his finance minister attorney general nikki sharma you mentioned lawyer um, has worked with david eby a long time they have a strong personal and professional relationship and in that job It's a tough one. It's this balance between being the lawyer for cabinet, but also being an outward facing legal authority around BC's decisions. And we'll see how Sharma deals with that. One of eight new people into cabinet that reflects, you know, a generational shift in, in sorts. And the last new minister I want to mention, Bruce, before we talk about other things or whatever you want to talk about, is Jennifer Whiteside goes to mental health and addictions. You mentioned that, that's a change of pace from Sheila Malcolmson, you know, Maybe a focus on Vancouver uh, a shift in, in eyes on what 's being done, and it means that Rashna Singh a new minister moves into education. Uh, it is the portfolio that has the most stakeholders, over a million parents in this province are vested in our public education system along with teachers and staff and uh, administrators and so this is a, an outward facing job for Rashna Singh as she enters cabinet.
0: Richard, there are some uh, indications and at least uh, some buzz, and I don't know where you fall on this. And we'll get to that after taking a couple phone calls here at 604-280-9898, 280 9898 getting that in there if you have questions for Richard. But um, the big elephant in the room is going to be a election call. And um, let's uh, talk about that just after we go to Rob in Chilliwack. Rob, you've been standing by for a bit. Uh, What's on your mind with this?
2: Thanks, Bruce, for taking... Thank you. Thank you, first of all, for taking my call. Um, You know, I watch politics very closely. I used to be an avid NDP voter. My grandpa's brother uh, goes back a long time. Woodrow Lloyd, former premier of Saskatchewan. So that'll tell you the way I was... That's the way I voted NDP. And, of course, they were... CCF then became the NDP. Anyway, long story short, I will never vote for them again, and I'll tell you why, Bruce. Uh, first off, I can see what David Eby is doing. Yeah, he's going to call an early election. You can see it coming. Uh, and he's going to, I think it's going to backfire on him if he does. And the reason John Horgan, quite frankly, won that election, he called, during a pandemic when we were all t- told to stay home, uh, is because people were afraid to go out. I believe it was one of the lowest turnouts ever. Um, having said that, the, the, and I believe I can still call them the BC Liberals because I don't think it's confirmed yet, BC United, they're absolutely right. Another reason why I wouldn't vote for the BC NDP is because of Adrian Dix. He is the worst uh, health minister ever, quite frankly. If you look at his this guy, look at his attendance, his, his uh record on the ambulance service during the heat wave
0: this, and this there guy. are many people that feel that way um some challenges oh. in there but uh, i hear what you're saying rob and uh Also, when we talk about the election call there, um, boy, there is that buzz. Uh, It is the elephant in the room, as I said. Thanks for the call, by the way, Rob. Uh, Richard, um, what are you thinking? Uh, Is this just kind of, I know David Eby says, no, no, I'm not going to do it. But is this a cabinet uh, that you would go into the election with? I
1: don't think we're having an early election here. If we get an early election, my thought has always been it would be the spring of 2024 rather than the fall of 2024. But we're not seeing an election in 2023 is my thought. And uh, David Eby has been insistent on that time and time again. The reason why John Horgan went early was a few of the things that Rob mentioned. And yes, voter turnout was down, but not down significantly compared to the trend. And we had massive uh, mail vote turnout, uh, record-breaking in Canada because it was in the middle of a pandemic. John Horgan was an opportunist. He saw an opportunity to go from a very, very, very slim power position in a minority government to a massive majority. David Eby now governs with that majority. And with these challenges ahead, and you know we have the crisis in healthcare that Rob alluded to, pressure on paramedics. We have uncertain economic challenges ahead. There was no reason to think that David Eby would roll the dice and go to an election now. And he would watch those municipal elections, Bruce, and see that people wanted change. People Uh, sent a huge change message in that municipal election. This is no climate to go to the electorate now. David Eby would lose. And that is. Electric now. And and that's that's the calculus that he's making.
0: It sure is a feeling uh, coming out of that. And if there were some uh, feelings toward going to an election, I know that they would be aware of it. But I guess the question is, are things going to get better? Are people going to be more, you know, in the mood to vote in favor at some point? Let's go to Ryan quickly in Vancouver. Ryan, what's on your mind?
3: Yeah. I'll be quick. I, I don't think Horgan won because people didn't vote. Horgan won because the B.C. Liberals and whatever new name they come up with are criminals. And they basically worked for the top 10% of society for 16 years. And people, thank God, didn't forget. And I hope we don't forget again.
0: Well, there you go. And there, it's still, you know, it's, a, it's an election or would be an election of druthers, I guess, to some extent. But, uh, Richard, again, and, and uh, you're coming Rob- down.
1: You know, Ryan and Rob represent here, Bruce, the polarization in this province. You know, this is not a province that sees these massive swings. Yes, we do in seats at times, but in popular vote, we are polarized. We are a two-party system, largely. And there are BC NDP supporters and BC Liberal supporters, and those who don't associate with either parties are the ones that ultimately just determine who wins. And it will be about those crucial issues. And people vote with their hearts, largely, the impact that government has on their lives. And there are so so many crucial files here around child care and housing and transit and the climate and health if I didn't already mention it, health care, health health care, economy, 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 all these things based on how you feel as a British Columbian, will be what impacts. and I don't think David Eby has made enough of an impression yet, nor has Kevin Falcon, about what governments under them would look like as we head towards. And I, again, I, I firmly believe we will get to that next fixed election, date in the fall of 2024. The situation is so different than it was when John Horgan went early.
0: You know, it always is real. It's about to get a lot more real. And uh, when you get some of these serious challenges in there that you detailed, Richard, like health and uh, certainly the economy in here, boy, you need some action. And at least 100 days of action, that's, uh, that's what they're talking about now. So we'll see what happens. Richard Zussman, always a pleasure.
1: My pleasure. Sorry to keep you waiting there, Bruce. I'm always happy to do it. Uh, no, have you never
0: apologize if it's you. It's either technology or a very good reason Today and probably both. both. Today was both. <laughs> <laughs> both. Today was both. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Nothing can be done. You're an ace, a pro as usual. Thanks so much. Thanks. Big smile on my face because we get to talk vacation and the possibilities of uh, getting away. Uh, a couple new uh, things in the news that make things a little bit easier. And for all this, we always bring in Claire Newell and uh, have a little bit of a chat about, oh, what's going to be happening. Thanks so much for joining us, Claire, from Travel Best oh. Bats. Uh, you know, Thanks, I, Bruce. Is it is it just me? or I, I mean, I, I hate to say this because I always feel like I need a vacation, but it does feel a little heavy right now.
4: Oh, does it ever, and I think those people who are able to carve out you know the time and the savings to be able to get away and to be honest, it could just be an overnight in downtown Vancouver. not doesn't have to be a week long or two or three week long vacation. I think everything is a bit heavy, and it's uh it's it's tough at the moment for. It's tough to buy gas and groceries, let alone Christmas on top of it and all the interest rate hikes. It's, it's, it's a lot. So, you know, the days that you can, can get away for yourself just become that much more special.
0: <laughs> they, they really do. Uh, it's funny. You mentioned uh, overnight, and uh, sometimes I think about an overnight as uh, just popping in the car, driving south. Um, where do we stand right now with Nexus. I used to have an Nexus card. It expired. I guess I oh, still do, did? technically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So
4: So it's been tough. It's You know, there's been a backlog of, like, about 400,000 people who have not had it processed. And it's just been a nightmare going back. Uh, like, just the, the discussion between Canada and the U.S., they're starting to open some doors. So everything's been closed. All the uh, CBSA had been, enrollment centers have been closed across this country, and yesterday they announced that they're opening two. Unfortunately, both of them are back east, Lansdowne, Ontario, the one near Thousand Islands Bridge, and for Erie, Ontario, at the Peace Bridge. So applicants still have to go through this two-step process, and I know a lot of people who have actually had to fly places to actually get their interviews done. Because you have to do one interview at a Canadian enrollment center and then the second interview at a U.S. enrollment center. So they are hopeful that more Canadian enrollment centers will be opening at border crossings, but there's zero in the way of timelines or locations. Who's next? Will there be any in the West? Of course, those are the questions I'm asking. And I'm sure if you are in the queue to get your Nexus card, you're, you're in the same, same process. Now I'm actually a current a renewing Nexus card holder. So in September, which is my birthday, it expired. So it expired September 7th. And just shortly thereafter, I p- processed my, my renewal because I think it's going to take a, a, at least that length. You cannot let your membership expire. Bruce, I hate to say that yeah, because okay. you're saying to me that yours might have expired, but Not existing members... <laughs> I'm oh, going to be no. honest. It did. <laughs> so, what that? What me? You have to go through the whole process from the beginning again. So, no. what you don't want, if you are an existing member, you can renew your membership prior to expiry and extend those benefits for up to five years. Some people are lucky enough to have just the card renewed and sent to them without any requirement of going in and doing interviews or anything. Other people may have to. It just is kind of random. Um, in my family, three of us got the cards just sent. Um, The last time we were renewed, not this go around, and one had to go in and do the interview process. So it is quite random, but it has been extraordinarily frustrating. Um, But slight window now of light (laughs) that that has opened up.
0: Absolutely. And I've always found it's better to have those things uh, in hand. And then when you finally, you know, have the opportunity to go south, you could say, oh, thank goodness I got my Nexus card also in line. And got you know it what? Renewed. Fifty
4: bucks, fifty bucks for five years is a oh, yeah. steal, it, and they it have really not is. increased that. Yeah,
0: no, no, I used it so many times. Uh, money well spent, uh, earned itself uh, over, uh, well over again. Um, yeah. So talking about things back east, uh, well, not back east, but further east than here, uh, we do see WestJet increasing service to Asia and Europe, but there is a bit of a catch Uh, um it's going to be flying out of calgary am i right with that this
4: is and this is such good news for us in the west so so? this is going to happen well because most of um asia uh, well asia primarily we have a lot of lift out of vancouver which is really great because we're the gateway to the pacific but for europe most of them are over toronto and a lot out of montreal we haven't had a lot of uh options from the west we have select flights on certain carriers which is really great um but Calgary is going to really be the hub. It, it is the kind of the flagship hub for WestJet, but they have had from their Eastern gateways, Toronto um, and uh, from Halifax, for, they've had their European destination. So if you are a WestJet fan and you want the points and you want the rewards, you've been flying over uh, over and connecting in either of those destinations, mainly Toronto. Um But what's happened is they've actually canceled the Eastern Canada gateways. So Toronto to Edinburgh, Glasgow, Dublin, Barcelona, and London, they're not going to be served next summer, and neither will the Halifax to Dublin, Glasgow, London, or Paris. What they're now going to be doing is that they're going to be offering um, some seasonal gateways to Europe out of Calgary. So two of those destinations in Europe are Edinburgh and Barcelona. And these are brand new out of the West. They're going to be going from May to October, up to three times a week. You can't even get to those destinations on a nonstop flight out of Vancouver at the moment. So if you want to go to Edinburgh, you're flying over London or Paris or Frankfurt or Amsterdam and then connecting. Now, it's a lot easier connection going through Calgary and continuing on to Edinburgh. Oh, or absolutely. To Barcelona. Yeah, so this is really great news. The other thing that they're doing, and it is the only flight to Asia out of Alberta, they're going to be doing three uh, three times a week seasonal service from Calgary to Narita to Tokyo. And that's going to begin at the end of April, April 30th will be that first flight. All of this is going to be on their you know, those gorgeous seven eight seven Dreamliners. So this is great. The other thing is, is that out of Calgary, there are also going to be flights that will be continuing, but they're just going to add more frequency to London Heathrow, London Gatwick, Paris, Rome and Dublin. Um, So all great news because the more lift out of the West, it usually means the cheaper flights for us living here. To those destinations.
0: Well, and on a seven eight seven Dreamliner. Uh, by the way, I just uh, a couple months ago got a chance to talk to a pilot that flies the Dreamliners, and uh, you know we're sitting around and uh, I ask them, uh, "What do you think of flying those?" And he says, "Oh no, it's incredible! Just uh, incredible planes to fly. Loved it."
4: Yeah, I, I, a complete game changer, and you feel a lot better coming off of it. The way that they the the, the uh, windows transition. And how they the lighting systems kind of wake you up if you're doing uh, big long haul flights. Um, the the way that the air circulates and the the way they're able to control the pressure it's unbelievable. You do come off feeling much much better on those gorgeous aircraft, the the seven eight seven Dreamliners as well as the A three fifty Airbus.
0: Oh yeah, um, hot spots. Uh, let's talk about those. We just went through a week and a half, Claire of. Uh, you know, not the best weather going, but there are some deals out there. What are they?
4: Yeah. Yeah, there are. So I'm finding um, just little pockets of windows of deals. So um, Hawaii, I thought I would share one to Honolulu. And this, these are very specific dates, but if you can go January 23rd, 25th, 27th, or 30th, so the end of January or the end of February on the 26th or 27th, I found a deal that includes airfare and seven nights for those who know it, it's at the Ohana Waikiki East. It's a really great property. It's not super, super high end, but it's in a fantastic location. Uh, really clean. It's one of the most popular ones we sell. Eight ninety nine, taxes of three oh eight. Now, wow. if you're looking for a hot spot, lots of people loving, you know, uh, beachfront all inclusive resorts last minute deals, few and far between. We rarely see anything at the moment under base fare of $1,000 plus the taxes. So Veradero Cuba, if you can go after the holidays. Love Veradero I wish... <laughs>
0: Cuba. I love right? it being there six or seven times now.
4: Have you? Okay. Yeah. That's so good, Bruce. So since I've been in the industry, so um, of 30 years now, Veradero Beach has been on the list of top 10 beaches in the world Every single year. So if you haven't been there, it's a you know beautiful, uh beautiful beaches. January fifth through until the end of the month. Airfare and seven nights in a four and a half star beachfront all inclusive resort, nine ninety-five, taxes of four eighty. That I have to say is selling out quite quickly. The oh, earlier yeah. dates, the fifth and the twelfth, already kind of limited space. And then last but not least, I've got a seven-night Alaska cruise for you. I know it's cold right now, but it is so popular because of the price point. If you didn't do it um, this year and you kind of felt like you missed out, um, booking early is definitely going to save you money on Alaska this coming year because it's really popular. And I think it's going to sell out So um, on, on the cheapest rate. So April 23rd through until September 17th, this is uh, a deal that includes seven-night cruise, Round trip from Vancouver on a beautiful ship called Brilliance of the Seas. It's a Royal Caribbean ship. It comes with a fifty U.S. dollar onboard credit, four hundred and twenty nine dollars, taxes of three twenty seven, and I've put it on the the website so you can check check that out there. Brilliance
0: of the Seas. If I'm not mistaken, that's a big ship with lots to do.
4: Lots to do. Although I have to encourage people, if you were going to do it and do Alaska, one of the things I loved the most was getting out and hiking um, the the walks along the water, the shoreline uh, on on the destinations we visited along the way. I I did this in June. It was really remarkable, and the hikes were so beautiful. So getting off the ship is really great. But if you are at sea, and um, which you would be, uh, you know, going up the Inside Passage, there's tons to do on board that ship. You're right.
0: Claire Newell, always a pleasure.
4: Thanks, Bruce.
0: Oh, here's a bit of announcement. Not necessarily the best news, especially for many of us who are car enthusiasts. Yeah, the New Car Dealers Association of BC has made the difficult decision. Obviously, reading from a release here, made the difficult decision to cancel the 2023 Vancouver International Auto Show. By the way, it was slated to go March 22nd to 26th at the Vancouver Convention Centre in the west side of that. Well, Blair Qualley is the president and CEO of the new Car Dealers Association. Uh, Blair, I know this is not going to be easy for you. Not easy, the decision being made, not easy telling it. But uh, what happened here?
5: Well, thanks, uh, Bruce, uh, for having uh, me on today. Uh, yeah, it's definitely not a, a great day <laughs> uh, for us. But uh, this is the fourth time now uh, since 2020 we've had to announce that we won't be able to put on uh, the Vancouver International Auto Show, and uh, that continues to be uh, part of the uh, what happened with COVID and the resulting supply chain and other issues that have plagued us all, uh, for that four year, almost four years. And, uh, it just continues and, and meant that the manufacturers, uh, didn't have enough vehicles, uh, to put on display. Uh, and we wouldn't have enough manufacturers to make the show worth doing. And, uh, so all in all, we just came to the conclusion that in order to, you know, if we're going to put on a good show, we, uh, you know it's not going to be next year unfortunately.
0: I hear so many challenges. I think that's a fair word to use right now in the uh, in in your industry with uh, especially with new cars. Uh, some of them are supply chain uh, challenges. I also know that uh, well with interest rates uh, going up uh, like we heard half a point for the Bank of Canada rate right today, it's not necessarily an easy time, is it?
5: No, it seems to be a perfect storm of, of challenge, uh, to use your term. Uh, we, uh, you know, uh, got the supply chain issues and microchip issues. Uh, you know, particularly if you're looking for an electric vehicle these days, they they require twice as many uh, chips as, as sort of a gas-powered regular vehicle that we're used to. And uh, those uh, delays and, and slowdowns in the microchip industry continue to plague us. And. Uh, not just that, but, you know, like many industries, uh, you know, uh, the transportation sector is uh, facing challenges of getting, uh, finding people uh, to do the work. And um, there's backup at, at ports and the rail systems and on and on and on. Uh, we've got a war going on in Ukraine and various other things that uh, just keep piling on to seem to uh, make it uh, difficult to mount to mount a show and also you know make it difficult for for folks to get a vehicle they want
0: when they want talking with Blair Qualley president and CEO of the new car dealers Association unfortunately the 2023 Vancouver International Auto Show which would have taken place in March uh not going ahead this year um Blair, I know people are still questioning some of these uh, surcharges they've never seen before when they go into uh, dealers. What is the reason behind that? Uh, is this really being offloaded, some of the losses onto customers?
5: Well, I, you know, I, I think, you know, we're seeing some practices of some folks in the industry that, uh, you know, don't represent necessarily what everybody in the sector is doing. Um, you know it, it's been a challenging time for some in the industry and I can only speak for what the uh, you know new car dealers are, are doing not the independent uh, shops and the independent dealers but uh, you know uh, everybody's trying to follow the rules of law and and uh, you know it's difficult uh, you know sometimes in the sector and and some folks are, are making some decisions that Uh, You know, we don't necessarily always agree with, but uh, uh, we're we're hoping uh, that uh, this is going to settle out sooner than later and we can get back to uh, the normal course of industry and and business in the sector.
0: I think we're all hoping for that, Blair. And uh, I hope that the next time you and I talk, it's going to be a lot better. Myself, I'm also, uh, you know, got my eye on my Jeep that I'm going to get in the next year or so, brand new. So I'm watching Mm -hmm. this closely. A lot of people are too. Blair, thanks for spending time with us.
5: Well, my pleasure. And uh, hopefully one of these days we'll be able to talk about uh, some alternative things we're going to have a look at uh, around replacing the auto show and and do some things around the province. So when we're ready to talk about that, we'll come back and see it.
0: The Bank of Canada has raised its benchmark interest rate by not as many had expected a quarter point, but by half a point. That means it now stands at 4.25% as of today. And, uh, you know, that is the highest in about 15 years. It's a big step and a continued direction in efforts to try to stomp out inflation. Uh, Whether it works or not, who knows? Uh, Most or many economists at least are saying, no, it's not necessarily going to work. One area it is working, of course, is in uh, is when it comes to real estate and uh, prices for houses. And for those uh, getting a mortgage, it's made things a whole lot more difficult. A lot of this not expected or unexpected, I should say. But the the part of it that comes in that is really a surprise or a shock is just how much and just how long this is going to continue. Well, to solve some of these uh, questions and maybe get some answers and what to do about this situation, we bring in Angela Calla, mortgage expert and author. Also, of course, host of The Mortgage Show on CKNW. Angela, thanks for being with us this afternoon.
6: Oh, you're welcome, Bruce. It's been quite the day.
0: Yeah, it has. And uh, I know that the big question was not going to be whether the interest rates were going to go up again. We knew that. whether it was going to be a quarter of a point or a half point. Half point is a lot, but it also comes on top of a whole bunch of other increases. So where do we stand right now? How bad is this for getting a mortgage?
6: uh, Right now, if you have a variable rate mortgage or line of credit, your borrowing cost has gone up $26 per 100,000 in mortgage amount. And sadly, we did see this full 50 basis point hike coming because of the inflation numbers um, still having growth over the past uh, while. So we certainly did anticipate this. Now, a lot of economists are seeing and they're interpreting this press release that the Bank of Canada is now on pause or pivot. And I disagree. I don't think that rate hikes are off the table for 2023. I think it is very data dependent and depending on how much people spend, And how the economy reacts to this is going to impact uh, what's happening. The markets are already pricing in a 25 basis point increase January 25th. So I think it's absolutely essential that Canadians reevaluate their budget and take a look at making sure that they're not doing any unnecessary spending, necessary items only.
0: You know, we could go to the ghost of Christmas past and take a look at uh, how mortgage rates were in the 1980s. I remember as a kid, my parents around the dinner table were talking about, uh, you know, the the interest rates being double digits. Uh, this is unfamiliar, of course, to many, many borrowers today. But uh, we've become accustomed, I guess, to having uh, interest rates, you know, Well, under 5%, and uh, that's not always uh, a guarantee, is it?
6: It's certainly not a guarantee. I mean, if we look at the famous statements that were made in 2020 when Tiff Macklem said that interest rates were going to remain low for a substantial long period of time, it certainly doesn't feel like a long period of time when over this last nine months we've seen as as many hikes as we have, and that's very concerning for a lot of Canadians because they went and made financial decisions based on what the Bank of Canada came out and said in their statements. So with that in mind, there's also as many Canadians that don't feel confident that the Bank of Canada can continue to increase hikes at the time. But regardless of what you believe, we are all impacted by these increases and we have to adapt our personal budgets accordingly because a lot of people who are up for renewal, are going to see substantially higher mortgage payments. And we have to prepare for when and if rates do come down. The only way that we can protect ourselves is to ensure we're with the best lender possible that will allow us to modify our mortgage to take advantage of when, hopefully, rates will come back down.
0: You know, I'm glad you mentioned uh, renewal because uh, I'm certainly in that category heading into this year. Uh, Yeah, timing couldn't be better. Um, I say that tongue firmly planted in my cheek. But um, many of us are not only dealing with uh, variable rates, and that gets a lot of attention, but looking toward renewal time. What is the advice for people that uh, usually go five years to five years to five years and their time is up now to start renegotiating?
6: it will depend on which lender you can qualify for. So provided you can qualify to get a mortgage renewal with a monoline lender, such as First National, MCAT, Merrick's, those are a few examples of some monoline lenders. They don't have posted interest rates. So those of us who had mortgages back in 2008 remember when interest rates were where they are today. Um, and we remember when interest rates went back down. They went back down to the fours, threes, and and even the twos. And what impacted Canadians the most was their pet mortgage penalties. And so some people on a $500,000 mortgage would have upwards of a $25,000 mortgage penalty. And that was so punitive that they couldn't make a change until things changed a little bit with their actual term. And so those Canadians who had mortgages with monoline lenders that don't have those posted rates had a much lower penalty in the range of five to $15,000. So they were able to modify their mortgage strategy to adapt with the current market and their current lifestyle because 7 out of 10 Canadians will actually break a mortgage sooner than uh, the full term because of lifestyle or market changes. Because what the banks have done is the banks have pretty much forecasted that we'll see a turnaround in the market in two to four years. So what they've done is they've increased those rates to be higher so people aren't taking shorter terms to compensate for all the changes. So, you know, with every action, there's a reaction. And as consumers, we have to empower ourselves with that knowledge of, hey, you know what, I do have a power of choice. Maybe I can't control the market, but I do have power of choice. There's dozens and dozens of lenders in Canada that I can have competing for my mortgage business to ensure that I get the best product for me that will help me through these changing times.
0: So what are the questions that you... Uh, as a lender really need to start asking it's not just about interest rates as we go in uh, who's got the best interest rate or who we think will have it you mentioned many of these aren't posted but uh, when it comes to uh, asking about some of those other questions what are they
6: Yes. Well, there's several. First of all, utilizing the services of a mortgage broker, an independent mortgage broker, is free. And it actually protects your credit. And you get unbiased advice. Because regardless of where they place your mortgage, they're compensated. And um, their their obligatory role is to make sure that you get the best suited mortgage for you. And it doesn't matter if they bring your mortgage to a major... Your bank or a online lender, um, they're there to give you that unbiased advice. So you're not being sold anything. As an individual, if you go from bank to bank to see what they have to offer, each time that you inquire, it actually takes five points off of your credit score, and it impacts the offers that will be available to you. Because we've all seen the ads, like "Open up an account with us" or "Get a mortgage with us," and we'll give you free checking or a free iPad or something like that. But it's always what the lenders don't tell you that costs you the most amount of money. And what they don't say is, even if you go to your bank and they say, go get a mortgage quote somewhere and come back and... We'll beat it. But what they don't tell you is if they have posted rates, When if you're like 7 out of 10 Canadians that need to break that, they don't tell you that their mortgage penalties are much higher than their competitors if you qualified for a better mortgage elsewhere because they're employed by that bank and their job is to sell the clients that they can what they've got. And also, they might not be looking at very important details. They might be having you focus on the interest rate instead of your overall financial budget. Because if you have a line of credit or credit cards, it might make a lot of sense to break the mortgage and include those outside debts into your new mortgage. So you can save that cash flow of hundreds, if not thousands of dollars a month if you are paying for other large debts outside of your mortgage. So having that independent review that's free, that's unbiased, that protects your credit is the best defense strategy that any uh, mortgage holder can give themselves in these changing times.
0: You know, we're talking about interest rates. Of course, the Bank of Canada hikes its key interest rate to 4.25%. We'd love to have uh, you join the conversation. You could do that. 604-280-9898. But we're talking with Angela Calla. And 4.25%, of course, is the Bank of Canada rate. But what is the rate now for consumers, Angela?
6: I'm so glad you asked. So average bank prime is 6.45%. And so that's where the banks have their prime rate. And there is one large Canadian bank that has a higher... Uh, bank prime as well because the banks uh, can decide whether they're going to pass that along to consumers or not, or if they're going to modify their own prime internally. And that's why it's so important when you're looking at all your mortgage options to also look at the lender history and how they look themselves, that bank, to make up profits and how they treat their existing clients, not just new clients coming in. Because if they're changing mortgage terms on you, which they have the right to do, then you want an understand that and how they handle things during difficult times. And I can tell you that a few lenders have come out so far and uh, mentioned how they intend to help consumers through these difficult times. Some lenders have come out with longer amortizations for 40 years. One of the Canadian insurers have come out and said that they will uh, support Canadians on renewal with 40 years, but you'll mention, you'll notice that I said the word insured. And when we talk about identifying your options and understanding how to get the best mortgage, there's about 30 different factors that go into getting a mortgage. And with Prime being at 6.45 right now, if you're making a purchase that's insured with a less than 5% down payment, you can still get a fixed interest rate in the fours. So it really depends on the loan-to-value, if you're purchasing, refinancing, switching, and what the loan-to-value is, what your income is, what your occupation is, your credit score that we talked about, and the stability in your job as well. So with all those factors determining how to get the best mortgage, it's not as easy as just getting a quote on a rate and understanding how that's going to fill into your financial future and health.
0: And that's where the mortgage broker comes in and helps out um when it comes to mortgage brokers i've always had this question in the back of my mind do they honestly have a whole bunch of different ones that they shop out to or is it uh, one or two that they're always uh, more friendly with
6: Oh, no, absolutely. They have a multitude of lenders. And we have access to lenders like you can't get a monoline lender as a consumer yourself. But it's actually the banks that are providing the money for these monoline lenders. Um, But of course, they're not going to compete with themselves. So, you know, in the retail branches, Those are Anybody who works there is obviously selling their product and their goal is to do the best of what they can. But when you think about how they're compensated, obviously they're compensated by the amount that they sell. And it's not just selling one product, it's cross-selling and they don't have an obligation to be independent and unbiased. Some of the lending institutions that we talked about that are monoline lenders that don't have the posted rate, that can be the difference in your mortgage penalty when you want to make a change of $25,000 versus $5,000. Of course, they're not going to tell you, hey, you're a great credit, you've got great income, you can go to a different bank and save $20,000 on a potential mortgage penalty moving forward. I don't think they can keep their job very long, Bruce.
0: Now, Angela, some people may have like 25-year mortgages and they're 10 years into it, so they've got 15 years looking at renovating at the same time, need some capital. Is this the time to do it or should they just forget about that idea?
6: there's no one size fits all for all households. We all have different needs and we're all going through different things. I mean, we all are in the same storm, but we all have different capabilities. So it's really a one-on-one and, and, you know, we're going through this short period of time, but we don't have to look too far in history to see that rates can come down and, and things change and everybody has a different financial circumstance. Now for people over 55, where their income is, Uh, being reduced. Maybe they've been hit as well in their financial portfolios. There's a non-taxable event that they can take advantage of called a reverse mortgage that can help um, them access their capital without having any monthly payments and without Um, them having to qualify at today's high rates. And so there's so many lending options that are out there and it's really about identifying what's gonna be best for your overall financial plan. And those reverse mortgages are also helping parents gift money to their children to buy real estate or if they have children that are struggling with renewal with the high interest rates it's actually giving them a lump sum so when they're up for renewal that lump sum is paid down the mortgage balance and allowed them to continue without the parents having to make monthly payments or taking money out of their investment portfolio and further getting taxed on that as well.
0: Angela, it feels like we just hit the tip of the iceberg. But uh, there is the Mortgage Show on CKNW. When is that again for uh, listeners that want to tune in?
6: Saturdays at 7 p.m.
0: Saturdays at 7 p.m. Thanks so much for uh, joining us this afternoon after a wild day with a 4.25% key interest rate. And uh, thanks for the clarification on that's not what consumers see, but that's just a key interest rate. Angela Kella, thank you.
6: Always a pleasure to help, Bruce.
0: You know, I've uh, seen plenty of council meetings in my time, and there are various interesting things, one could say, that happen at council meetings. But this one, I think, takes the cake. When a mayor basically says, That's it, I'm out, and leaves. Well, it happened yesterday in Kamloops, a city council meeting where Mayor Reed Hamer Jackson, citing a potential conflict of interest, recused himself from the entire meeting not just one topic but uh the entire meeting that's uh that's kind of strange and it happened right at the start well to talk about this is my good friend paul james news and program director at radio nl in kamloops paul so glad to have you uh with us
3: Hey, Bruce, always a pleasure. Uh, yeah, uh, as you said, uh, you and I have uh, sat through our uh, fair share of uh, council meetings, but uh, uh, this one was a little bit more interesting, a little uh, uh, odd that uh, Robert's uh, rules of orders, as it were, went, went a little deeper than just recusing uh, himself, the mayor, uh, from just uh, one uh, one particular topic. He uh, basically uh, picked up his ball and uh, left, as it were. Yeah, ball and net
0: and going home. Now, here's the one that uh, would pop into my mind first. Uh, all the members of council and of course the mayor himself would have a copy of the agenda to begin with. Am I right?
3: Absolutely. Uh, there was there was no doubt that uh, we we knew what was coming up on, on the on the particular agenda. But uh, some interesting behind the scenes uh, maneuvers, or uh, what uh, sort of led us to this. So I'll give you a little bit of background. Yeah, here. I do. Our our mayor uh, Reed Hamer Jackson uh, campaigned much like uh, the the new mayor and uh, council in uh, Vancouver on uh, on a community safety platform, and and was uh, elected uh, on that front. And part of his. Um, I guess, uh, platform, was to clean up the uh, social housing uh, side of things here. There's a lot of concern about uh, where uh, individuals or are, you know, street affected uh, have been living and, and how they're living. And so he's been a very big advocate for, you know, getting some accountability within the uh, operators of these facilities. And what uh, has happened since taking office is that uh, he and uh, one of the operators, uh, uh, Ask Wellness up here, have been in a legal sort of tete-a-tete not uh, necessarily filing uh, direct claims against one another, but they've uh, uh, fought back and forth uh, with uh, claims of uh, libel and and things of this nature. And so uh, what happened was, is that on the agenda for council yesterday was a big review of, of uh, social housing what's going on uh, in Kamloops through the previous council what the, the new council can be looking forward to as it turns out there was a number of references to Ask Wellness in that particular file so uh, the mayor decided I guess to recuse himself but uh, again uh, we don't really know why he decided to just pull the pin on on the rest of uh, the, the council session, the uh, the prevailing thought is that uh, he wasn't too pleased because there was an in-camera session before the council meeting which took place, which we've come to learn now, which he was not invited to. Uh, and uh, the details of that were uh, still trying to sort out at this point. So, yeah, a little bit more intrigue uh, still to come here, Bruce.
0: Well, I'm not going to use the term temper tantrum, but uh, I am. And there it's <laughs> out there. But, uh, you know, it's interesting because one would think that... Uh, You know, there is an issue, but there are plenty of issues that are on a council agenda. And as you said, he didn't come back. So he could have had a clerk uh, the usual process to recuse yourself, which, by the way, is the right thing to do, uh, is to have a clerk say, "Okay, you know, come on back. You sit down. It's no big deal. And uh, you just announce you don't even have to give details when you leave. You just say. Um, something very short and you leave a meeting and you come back. And that happens all the time in communities because people are involved and have their own interests. But I've got to ask what happens now, because I don't think from what I'm reading here, anyone's talking. The mayor's not talking. Council's not talking. Where do we go?
3: Well the the mayor is now talking. Uh he is going to be a guest on our uh, program here later on this afternoon. I think he took a uh took a day to uh collect himself, took a beat and uh is uh, out with his side of things. But the councilors on the other hand are are the ones who have been uh, rather moot on the, the the whole subject since uh everything went down at council yesterday as I alluded to Bruce. Uh there was this uh in camera meeting that the mayor was not privy to, and I think this is connected to what we uh, had sort of talked about, about the, the potential legalities of the the, the the conflict between himself and the uh, the group Ask Wellness up here, uh, but he was not allowed into this uh, particular meeting as, as such, you know, was, I think, a little frustrated and decided to uh, step back, but we don't know the details of this in-camera meeting. None of the councillors are talking, but uh, he uh, himself and uh, his lawyers are now starting to talk a little bit as well, so uh, as the day progresses up here in Kamloops, Bruce, we're probably going to find a few more details about uh, what his thoughts, the mayor's thoughts, uh, are on this. And uh, maybe as the day progresses as well, we'll start to hear from some of the city councillors as well. But uh, uh, as as Robert's Rules of Orders, as I alluded to before, sort of allude to, uh, you're not allowed to discuss in-camera items uh, in public. That's uh, part of the rules of the uh, charter here in British Columbia. So again, we'll have to see whether or not there's some, uh, you know, uh, loose lips, uh, around the council table to to, to finally sort out what exactly uh, we're, we're dealing with up here.
0: And of course, uh, homelessness and crime, two really big issues, as you mentioned, uh, in Kamloops and uh, the mayor, well known for having an interest in this before the election.
3: Oh absolutely and one like i say he he successfully campaigned on, and I think a lot of people uh here in Kamloops appreciate his sort of no nonsense uh, approach to the whole thing, but it should be noted that he is a political rookie, as are uh five of the uh uh counselors around the uh, council table as well so it's it's a, it's a lot of a learning curve up here as far as uh how things work and you know the ability of Uh, a mayor and the control that he has over the council, because, uh, you know, there's some suggestion that once you become mayor, you know, you can kind of rule the roost. But in reality, the way in which uh, our system works here in municipal politics, you're basically just the chair of the board. You don't really get a say. And uh, more often than not, you don't even get a vote unless you're a tiebreaker. So I think there's a bit of frustration that that sort of falls into this as well, with expectations that, you know, he was going to step in and, and do the things that he wanted to do. Crime and punishment uh, in dealing with uh, you know issues surrounding homelessness and all that kind of stuff. But then once you get in, you realize, oh wait a minute, it's not nearly as clear cut and not as simple as I hoped it was. I think that's where you know the frustration lies in. So I think there's a learning curve to be uh, uh, you know worked through here in Kamloops. But again, yeah. uh, the the intrigue makes it still rather exciting to watch and uh, report on.
0: Indeed, it does, and uh, glad to hear uh, some of that. uh, The interesting stories, as I say, coming out of council sometimes don't have to deal with the policies themselves. Mm. Paul James, thanks so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bruce. And it is Bruce Claggett in for Jill. Jill is in for Simi, and I'm here with a disturbing story that uh, broke sometime yesterday. Now, the federal government As it turns out, has awarded a contract to provide and maintain RCMP communications equipment to a company that does have ties to the Chinese government. This, according to Radio Canada, the contract has security experts raising concerns about potential Chinese access to RCMP communications and data. By the way... This also comes just uh, a couple of days after we learned that there were these Chinese police stations operating in our country. So this goes back to October of 2021. The federal government awarding Sinclair Technologies a contract worth just over half a million dollars. So not a lot of money, but it's for radio frequency filtering systems, RF filtering systems. One of the system's purposes is to protect the RCP's land-based radio communications from any sort of eavesdropping. Why is this a concern? Well, Sinclair Technologies, it's based in Ontario. The company has been controlled by a company based in China since 2017. So you can see some of the obvious implications, but with even more, we bring in Senior Fellow Institute of Science, Society and Policy at the University of Ottawa, also on the Canada-China Forum Advisory Board, Margaret McQuaig-Johnston. Margaret, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for inviting me, first. So what does this mean? Is this just one of these other things that you've got to think of, boy, uh, a bit of a slip, or is it more serious than that?
7: Well, I think this is going to be very serious, um, and the government has already said that it's got several investigations uh, going on into how this could have happened. Um, this is a company that um, has ownership by Hytera in China, and they have a government, um, a state-owned enterprise, uh, owning them. And so this is, you know, a direct uh, link in uh, to to China, um, and we've heard a lot over the years about Huawei and the risks it poses to Canada's five G. The government made the right decision on this, on on, on Huawei, but on um, this RCMP contract uh, is even more sensitive because this is the most sensitive telecom equipment that the RCMP uses for its uh, communications, for example, in supporting the Prime Minister, uh, in guarding him, in sharing information with other uh, police organizations. Uh, so it's, it's a practical uh, risk because there could be um, eavesdropping going on by the Chinese uh, through the equipment that's made in China and brought to Canada and installed. And it's a second risk, a reputational risk that Canada has because now governments like the U.S. and the other Five uh, Eyes countries, Australia, New Zealand, and the U.K., will wonder whether it's safe to talk to us, whether talking to the RCMP about a case uh, will be overheard by the Chinese. And so this is this is really serious stuff, and I'm pleased that uh, the prime minister and ministers seem to be taking it that
0: seriously. Well, it sure doesn't look good, does it? I mean, this to me at best uh, sounds like a bonehead move, um, but one would wonder what the vetting system would be. I mean, we're talking about a system that's supposed to protect security, and the contract for that going to a company, well, I mean, this is kind of like the fox in the henhouse, isn't it?
7: Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, if you wanted to design a system, uh, if you were sitting in China and wanted to design access to the most sensitive uh, police and intelligence communications in Canada, you would try to get access to the RCMP's radio communications, and they've done that.
0: We're talking with um, Margaret McQuaig-Johnston, who is a senior fellow, Institute of Science, Society and Policy at the University of Ottawa, also on the Canada-China Forum Advisory Board. Um, Margaret, uh, you alluded to this already, uh, other countries and what their trust level might be. And I'm talking about uh, ones that we trade uh, intel with. Um, Certainly, the biggest among those would be the United States. If I'm in the States right now, would I not be asking some questions about this?
7: Yeah, I'm sure the phones are ringing off the hook in the Canadian Embassy. Um, And uh, and it'll be difficult for them to answer the questions before this investigation takes place. But I've said, you know, regardless of what the investigation finds as to why this happened, you have to stop the, the contract now and you have to rip out what's already there.
0: Which is going to be a lot more expensive, I guarantee, than half a million dollars. By the way, the official price tag here, going back to the contract, I think, as cited by uh, Radio Canada, was uh, 549637 So So over half a million dollars, not a lot, but this is a very expensive mistake on a couple different fronts, isn't it?
7: It is, and in fact, uh, they beat out their Canadian competitor... By less than sixty thousand dollars, which was so, a Quebec we, firm, was it not? Yes, uh, in Luciville, and so um, uh, so. Some the Conservatives today asked in the House of Commons, "Did the government really just sell Canada's national security for sixty grand?" Uh, so that's an interesting question. This is a company um, that, that the owner of. Uh, Sinclair Technologies is the name of the company that got the contract. Their owner, Hytera, um, was taken to court uh, several years ago by Motorola in a civil suit uh, for stealing trade secrets, uh, essentially spying. And uh, Hytera uh, was forced, well, initially was uh, told to pay $700 million dollars Ultimately, they appealed, and that was reduced to $500 million. But that's half a billion dollars they've already had to pay to Motorola for spying. And now uh, the U.S. government is charging uh, uh, Hytera with 21 charges of espionage against uh, Motorola. So those are criminal charges, not just the civil charges.
0: Here's where I'm stuck, and it comes down to the vetting process. When it comes to these things, it obviously went out to tender. But uh, myself, even sitting at a desk, I may be able to uh, do a Google search and find out about this information. And it's not terribly difficult, I would think, to find out about all the ties, as you outlined, even with the Chinese company that's got a 10% uh, investment in this which is only 10%, but still an investment in this. Um, What do you think went wrong here? And is it indicative of a process, not just this one, that has to be looked at more carefully? Yeah,
7: I think there's going to be a a real um, get-to-the-bottom-of-it kind of inquiry into this. Uh, Someone's called for a a parliamentary inquiry. But certainly right now, I'm sure there are all, all kinds of meetings going on uh, in Ottawa to try to understand why they did not put a national security lens on the contract. And I've, I've seen the correspondence with both Procurement Canada and the RCMP, and they were asked, you know, very clearly, uh, did you ha- use a, a national security criterion in making the decision? And the answer was no. And the, it wasn't no with an explanation. It was just no. Like how can you not when it's a chinese firm it's uh it's It's crazy in my view um, the uh, The company itself in Canada, Sinclair, uh, was asked for for comments, and um, the individual who answered his name is We er uh, at Sinclair uh, said that um, he wasn't able to respond due to client confidentiality. Um, and uh, and he actually worked at Motorola from 1997 to 2014 when all of this spying ostensibly was happening.
0: Interesting. And I think there are a couple more uh, directions that we will have to explore with this uh, going forward. Margaret, I'm going to get you to hold on just for a few minutes after the break. We will come back to this uh, developing story as it is now. Margaret McQuaig Johnston is a senior fellow at the Institute for Science, Society and Policy at the University of Ottawa. We are talking about that federal government award, an RCMP contract to a firm with ties to China. We'll have more when we come back. We have been talking with... Margaret McQuaig Johnston, who is a senior fellow at the University of Ottawa, a specialist on Chinese science and technology. And the topic that we're talking about is a surprising and a frightening one. The revelation that our federal government has awarded an RCMP contract to a firm with ties to China. It's for communications and communications filtering for the RCMP. Wow. There's so many different layers to this, aren't there, Margaret?
7: Yeah, it's um it's it's sad and pathetic and you really can't make it up. Um, you know, if this were a, a spy novel sent to a publisher, the publisher would decline it saying, Well, that's a stupid thing, nobody would ever do that. Um and and you know, it makes us look like the Keystone Cops, except it's not funny. Um and you know, it's it's important to understand that China has very solid uh, laws supporting its national intelligence spying. They passed a law called the National Intelligence Law back in 2017, and Article 7 of that uh, says that organizations, companies, and individuals must spy for Canada if requested by Chinese authorities, and they must keep that spying secret. And if they're caught the Chinese government will support them. In other words, they'll try to cover it up for them. There's no option for a, a Chinese company to decline to do that. And Hytera and its subsidiaries are subject to that. Um, now, presumably, the people who let this contract weren't aware of that law and uh, and you know sh- should have asked more questions knowing that this was a Chinese-owned company. But it seems that they didn't. And one of the things that China uh, depends on is the naivety of many Western countries. Uh, We have very open democratic uh, governments and open processes. We're fair to everyone. And they um, build on that in trying to access our telecom. Sometimes they do it in kind of a bullying way. Uh, I know that the Chinese embassy here in Ottawa Uh, was really pressing hard aggressively with the Canadian government to allow Huawei in our system of 5G. You kind of had to wonder why they were so aggressive and so bullying uh, and why it was so important to them. Well, it was important because they would get access to all kinds of things that they want. And we were wise enough to turn that down, um, you know, what, a year and a half ago. Um, but in this case, uh, some big mistakes were made by a number of different people. It wasn't just the RCMP, it was also Procurement Canada and the Ministry of uh, Public Safety and um, you know, and others who are involved in this uh, contracting process.
0: Well, I've got to ask, what is the information that is so valuable that Canada has that they would want? Is it mostly around uh, trade or is it something else?
7: In this case, because it's the RCMP, what they would be looking to do was eavesdropping. And in fact, this, <laughs> this equipment, unbelievably, is equipment that you need as the RCMP to ensure against eavesdropping. And, and you keep the radio frequencies top secret in a safe and only a, a handful of people can access it. So eavesdropping is one thing that the RCMP would be concerned about. Uh, In addition, they would want our communications data, which is all kinds of information that we share um, across the RCMP on criminal cases, including cases involving Chinese nationals, uh, as well as with other intelligence agencies like the the, um, Canadian Intelligence and Security Service. Um, in addition, there would be an ability potentially to, to jam or shut down uh, the RCMP radio communication system. And uh, it's difficult to detect what they're accessing, so you don't know how they're using the equipment. And just starting to uh, take each component out and look at it uh if not you can't do that with all of the the um, systems that have been installed now uh, since uh, October of last year across Saskatchewan and Ontario and by Ontario by the way I think we're talking about Ottawa because the OPP manages the rest of the province uh, so we're talking about Ottawa which is always sensitive when you're talking about cabinet minister communications and the support to the prime minister so it's it, this is very se- sensitive stuff. The first response that the RCMP gave this morning when this came to light is that um, the the, the um, employees of the company were given security clearance. Really? Yeah, security clearances for top-secret access to radio frequencies were given to employees of a Chinese company? Techno- yeah surveillance technology company, um, you know, I I really think, you know, somebody's got to go back and find out what went wrong in giving those people security
6: clearance.
0: No, not, not the best damage control statement for sure. I do appreciate your time, but I also think that this is going to be the tip of the iceberg, and uh, we're going to want to connect with you more as, uh, as this plays through the system, Margaret.
7: Well, I'd be happy to come back.